Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Day Spring. I'm so glad that you were able to join us here tonight. Uh, we heard a powerful message last week from Sergio Avila about the, the awesome uh, way that God used Abram and the depiction of how he was commanded to sacrifice his son, but it was a picture of how God the Father would then sacrifice his own son on the same hill thousands of years later, showing us the idea of substitutionary atonement and what, a, what an awesome picture that was that our, our, uh, our friend Sergio brought for us. Tonight, I'd like to start with a, a word of prayer. But as we begin to pray, truly, let's consider what an awesome privilege it is to be in God's presence. For truly, he invites us into his very presence, into his throne room. And this is the God of the entire universe that has the power in his words to speak stars into existence and planets and to organize solar systems and galaxies and how awesome it is for the power that lives in God to actually come. I'm blown away with the idea that he can actually inhabit my body and yours. Our God is great and powerful and magnificent, glorious. And that in, in, in light of all of that power, he also knows each of us more intimately than we know ourselves. He knows how many hairs are on my head. I don't know that. But our God loves us and he cares about us. And he knew from before the foundation of the world that we would need a savior. So, as I begin tonight, let's enter into what an awesome privilege it is to be in his presence. Holy God, we bless your name. For it is that name above every name that is named in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess, you alone are Lord and Christ, magnificent creator of the heavens and the earth. We are in awe, truly in awe of your power in awe of the magnificence of your power, for you created the entire universe by the power of your word and then encapsulated your word for us to be able to read it and empowered us with your spirit living within us to be able to comprehend your word so that we can know you. Not just so that we can know you, but Lord God, so that we can know that you know us, you live in us, you dwell in us. Be with us as we study your word tonight. Dwell in us as we study your word tonight, as we examine the awesome sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Truly, Lord God, we bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Transform us, Lord, by the power of your spirit. Transform us by the power of your word. You've told us if we believe in Jesus, that we can 
become, we have the right to become the sons and daughters of God himself, of the Most High. We can actually become partakers of his divine nature. We can actually begin to do the will of God rather than our own will. Help us to walk in that will, not our own. Help us to die to self all throughout the days of our lives. Help us, Lord God, to recognize your will is more important than our own. Have your way in each of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to start tonight simply by examining the magnificent splendor of God's creation. We don't want to worship his creation, but tonight we do want to acknowledge his, the immense size and the complexity with which the universe that God created exists. Now the sun, the closest star to our planet Earth, is 93 million miles away from the Earth. It's hard to wrap ourselves, our minds around the idea of how far away that is. But every morning we can rise. Every morning we rise and that bright light also warms our body, warms the planet, even from that great distance. In our solar system, the the dwarf star Pluto is about 3.67 billion miles away from the sun. And yet it still, with consistency, rotates in a regular orbit around that sun. Our planetary system is the only one that's officially called a solar system, but astronomers have discovered that there are more than 2,500 other stars with planets orbiting around them just in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. Our sun is one of 200 billion stars in our galaxy, and there are at least 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. It blows me away, the size of God's creation, that the way he designed his creation was that there would be the first heaven, which is the atmosphere, in which consists the air that we breathe. But the second heaven is the one where all the stars and the planets exist. And that is immense. And that the third heaven is where his throne room is. And it lives outside the scope of his creation. It preexisted his creation. Now, some of the smartest people on the planet back in 1977 designed a, a space program that was designed in the year that my daughter was born. That's why I remember it so well. In 1977, NASA began to utilize the uh, Voyager program. And the Voyager program is an ongoing American scientific program that employs robotic uh, interstellar probes, Voyager 1 and 2, and they were launched to take advantage of the favorable alignment between Jupiter and Saturn to fly near them uh, and then collecting data and transmitting it back to Earth. Uh, after the launch, there was a decision made to additionally send the second Voyager, Voyager 2, near Uranus and Neptune to collect data for transmission back to Earth. Uh, as of 2021, the two Voyagers are still in operation past the outer boundary of the heliosphere and the in, uh, interstellar space. That means they've gone beyond Pluto. And they're still transmitting data back to Earth. 
as of 2021, Voyager 1 was moving at a, a speed of nearly 40,000 miles an hour, and has been doing that for over 40 years. Likewise, uh, uh, Voyager 2 has been traveling a little bit slower at about 35,000 miles an hour. And although the Voyagers have moved beyond what's considered the uh, solar wind, or what scientists call the solar wind, they still have a long way to go before exiting our solar system. They say that if you define our solar system just as the sun, our star, and everything that orbits around it, that these two probes will continue on for another 28,000 years before they leave our solar system. I find it very difficult to understand how large that is, that this is just one solar system within a galaxy of billions of galaxies within God's universe. God has created the expanse of the universe, and yet he knows each of us better than we know ourselves. And that love that God has for each of us is greater than any of us can even imagine. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 14, describes the love that God has, and I'll, I'll read it. If you have your Bible, open it to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, or if you prefer, on your notepad, uh, write down the reference so you can reread it, re it later as God directs you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 starts out, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, not in our sight, but in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given us freely in the one that he loves. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of, his, of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will in according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under, and under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who worked out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. What's the purpose of that? In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. As Paul goes on and prays for us in this passage, he goes on to describe God's love for us, God's love that surpasses even our imagination. To know God's love that surpasses our ability to comprehend. Now all that is to say this. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 11, God declares 
through Isaiah the prophet. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And as the rain pours down, comes down from heaven, and does not return without watering the earth, but makes it bud and flourish so that it yields seed to the sower and bread for the eater. God declares, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will not return to me. The old King James uses the word void. It, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. By God's word, he created the heavens and the earth. By God's word, on the fourth day, he created the stars and the planets and everything that moves around in the cosmos. And we know that on day one, God created light. That light is the essence of his glory and the nature of his presence. Now, as we approach the holy season, we're approaching resurrection celebration, which includes Palm Sunday and the day that Jesus was crucified. We also examine some of the last words of Jesus as he was upon the cross. And we'll compare them with Psalm 22. So turn in your Bible to Psalm 22. Put a marker there. That's where we'll spend most of our time this evening. I will refer back to several passages in the New Testament, but I want us to look at Psalm 22 with precision, with some clarity. And it, it won't be exhaustive. I have a very short time here. Uh, in Psalm 22, starts out with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a something that Jesus actually said when he was on the cross, but he said it in, I believe, Aramaic, and it, it was Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And my, my question I'm posing tonight is, why did Jesus even speak these words? Is it even possible that Jesus didn't know why his Father in heaven had abandoned him in this hour of need? Jesus was and is God in a body of human flesh. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 make this clear. Talking of Jesus, it says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be, to be something that he used for his own advantage. Verse 7 says, Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross. My, my conjecture is this, that Jesus knew precisely why our Father in heaven looked away. The Father is holy and cannot even look upon sin. Jesus had the sin of the world placed on him, the innocent Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, was telling his followers in the crowd and around the cross who watched him die what was happening to him by referring to Psalm 22. These events were prophetically stated by King David hundreds of years before the Romans even devised the horror and the cruelty of crucifixion. I believe this is why he quoted the first verse of Psalm 22, so that his followers would read it. They would rec remember 
This is in the Psalms. And they would go back and they would read this chapter so that they would know that this horrible death that Jesus suffered had been prophesied. Jesus had told them many times that he had to go to Jerusalem and that there he would be killed. What they didn't seem to understand is that Jesus was bearing the penalty for their sin and ours. The torture and the beating with the whips and the tearing of his skin from his back was the penalty that God knew I deserved for my own sin. The pounding of the nails through his hands and his feet was what I deserved for my sin. He himself bore my sin in his body on the cross so that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By his stripes we were healed, 1 Peter 2.24. So turn with me to Psalm 22. We'll start in verse 1. In Psalm 22, verse 1 starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Verse 3 says, you, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust, and they trusted you, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Now, as if Jesus himself is feeling the pain of the torment of the crucifixion. He says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Verse 7 says, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. Now, this prophetic word was fulfilled and recorded for us in Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 through 44. Use that reference, write it down in your notepad so that you can go back and you can see that Jesus himself experienced this in, him, in his own life. I'll continue in Psalm 22. He trusts in the, in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him, that is God, deliver him, Jesus, since he, Jesus, delights in him, God. Verse 9 says, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help me. And now referring to men as though they were animals, Jesus is seeing this imagery around him as he's nailed to the cross. He says, many bulls surround me. Bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tear their prey wide, uh, open their mouths wide against me. Verse 14 says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Can you imagine what it would feel with the entire weight of a human body, being all the bones being dislocated from one another as he was crucified? He said, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. A potsherd is simply a reference to the broken pieces of a ceramic pot, dried clay. 
verse 15 goes on that says, And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. This prophecy was fulfilled and recorded for us in John 19, verse 28. In John 19, 28, it says, Later, knowing that everything had been finished so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And we remember about the, the mop of the sour wine being extended to him while he was on the cross because he said he was thirsty. Now, referring back to Psalm 22, and again, as referring to men as though they were animals, verse 16, it says, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. This prophecy was fulfilled and recorded for us in Matthew 27, verse 35, where it says, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Back to Psalm 22, verse 19. But you, O Lord, be not far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. If you can imagine Jesus as he had already died physically, the centurion took the spear and rammed it up through his ribcage, piercing his heart and the pericardium around his heart, that, that sack of fluid that spilled out blood and water all over the centurion. He knew that Jesus was dead. His own spear had made sure of it. Verse 20, I'll repeat it. Deliver me from the sword. My life from the precious dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. I, I make a distinction of that the two names for the same group of people, God's people, are called the group the descendants of Jacob when they're acting in rebellion against him as deceivers, when they're acting out of relationship with him, and descendants of Israel when they're acting as the children of God who are received into the transformed Jacob, whose new name is Israel. The same group of people were all his descendants. Verse 24, it goes on and says, For he has not despised or scorned the sufferings of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face, that is, God has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cries for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Consider that Jesus had been in the presence of the Father at the creation, and before the creation began, he was designated and had chosen to allow himself to suffer this death as part of God's plan for our redemption before the entire creation even existed. It explains this in Ephesians chapter 1. And if you'd like, we can go into that in more detail in the early morning study at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning or in men's discipleship at 3 p.m. in the afternoon on Sundays. But let me continue. Let me continue. Verse 25 says, From you comes the 
theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. That is, Jesus bowed to the Father that he would allow this to happen to him for our redemption so that we could then have relationship with the Father through his own blood. Verse 26 says, the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Now, Paul wrote about this when he addressed the Philippians church in chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, starting in verse 9 in Philippians. Again, write this reference down in your notepad so you can refer back to it. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him a name that is the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. Let's go back to Psalm 22. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the, the dust, in other words, all those who die and are buried, all of those will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, Physically. I add the word physically. Verse 30 says, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Prophecy fulfilled and recorded for us in John 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I can't help but think that God's ways are so much higher than my ways. The cruelty of the cross is a punishment I deserve for my sin before God. Receiving Jesus as my Savior requires me to acknowledge that he bore the consequence for my sin. He suffered and died for me because he loves me. If you've made Jesus Lord and Savior, he suffered and died for you. He bore your sin in his body on the cross. If you've not yet made that decision, now's the time. Today is the day of salvation. And this was and is God's plan, a plan devised from before the foundation of the world. That what I, can I say in, in response to this? If, if God so loved me that he was willing to send his son to die for me, how can I demonstrate my love for him? Jesus said that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And his commandments are not difficult, but they are comprehensive. They're not, they are, in fact, simple, but they are all-encompassing. They require a life of total surrender. If you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. Two commandments. There's one thing we can do to accomplish both commandments. In Matthew 28, Jesus gave the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now here at Dayspring, we call this changing the world one person at a time. I must acknowledge that my life is no longer about me. My life is about him. Now we don't do this. We don't go and make disciples in our own strength. I can't save anyone. Jesus is the only one who can save anyone, and he can save everyone. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, you go. You go and make disciples of all nations. I must be a disciple of Jesus Christ myself before I can go and make disciples of others. Jesus was delegating his authority to us to do the will of the Father. Now, as we change the world one person at a time by teaching everyone that we interact with to obey everything Jesus commanded us to do, we go and make disciples of them in obedience to his command, showing him we love him. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because baptism is a, uh, a symbolism of teaches death to the old life in submersion in the water of baptism and rising out of the water in resurrection life that Jesus provides. Now, accepting Jesus as Lord requires us to repent of our former way of life. That former way of life caused us a great deal of pain in our own lives and in the lives of those that we care about in the flesh. Our, our siblings, our parents, our spouse, our children, as our lives are transformed by the power of Jesus' living word in us and by his spirit for his glory, we no longer need to self-medicate in ways that are self-destructive. All that self-medication carries its own consequence, the rapid deterioration of our body and our soul, not to mention that if we haven't made Jesus our Savior, the ultimate is our burning in hell. But we who are saved will pray to the Father. We have accepted him as our Lord and our Savior. And we will pray for your healing as well, as you may ask us. For our God is a great physician. He is a great provider. He gives us peace and hope and strength. And when he bore our sin on the cross, he also bore our sicknesses and our infirmities. We then must ask, and it's up to him, but when we ask, we ask in faith, believing and expecting his glory to be made manifest in us so that our bodies display his healing power for his glory. Let's pray. Holy God, holy, almighty, magnificent, compassionate Father, we come together tonight asking that you will be glorified in each of us as we hear and act upon your word. As we repent, we come asking you and your declared love for us to forgive us as we forgive. As we give to one another to meet the collective need within your body, cause men to give to us. As we measure it out, so it will be measured to us. Your provision is available. Heal us in our relationship with you. Heal us in our relationships with one another. Unify us in your truth. May we deny ourselves of our will, requesting the power of your spirit 
to do your will. As we become more and more disciplined in and through your will, may your spirit and your word empower us to go into our households, our workplaces, our extended families, into our communities, and even into the world, making disciples meet our every need. Oh, God, you have empowered our pastor to equip us for the work of the ministry. Heal us in our bodies, our minds, and our souls. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Now, if you'd like more help in developing or in assistance in understanding the word by the Spirit, please let me know. You can meet with me on Sunday morning. Uh, I, I teach a study at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning in the chapel. I also do a simulcast by Zoom at that same time at 8 a.m. Or if you prefer, give me your contact information and I'll invite you to the Zoom. The men can also gain strength, not only by meeting together at 3 in the afternoon for men's discipleship, but they encourage one another and build each other up in that meeting at 3 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. I hope to see you soon. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.